Let's go ahead and we'll pray before we read God's Word this morning. Father, we do ask that you would be with us by the power of the Spirit of Christ and by the eternal Word which you have given to us this morning. We thank you for the evidence that we have that you are still at work in this world that we have seen and witnessed this day. We pray that you would work even now over the next few minutes as we spend together opening your word, that we might hear from you, our God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 46, this is the holy inerrant word of God. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven... He will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors... And the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to his tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. 
And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades. And the word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. I think much of the struggle in this world centers upon and around authority. We could even say that going back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to eat from the fruit of the tree and the knowledge of good and evil and all of mankind fell as a result and all of the human race from there on out was born in sin that it centered upon the issue of authority as R.C. Sproul once said about that event, he said, when Adam and Eve chose to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it was an act of cosmic rebellion. And that is true. I think many of the conflicts that we see and much of what is going on in our culture today centers upon the issue of authority. Who is it that you are to trust? Who are you to listen to? Who is it that has a right to tell you to do this or to do that? How do you know what to believe? Authority is not a light subject. Uh, I don't need to tell you that. You're living in the midst of all of this. It is something that can unite. It is also something that can easily divide. And we'll see both in our text this morning. Obviously, we have a long passage this morning. I have to do a little shorter sermon because of baptism and receiving members, so we can't drill all the way deep down into this. We'll kind of more do it at a high level. But I I want you to remember the context before we go into this passage. You'll remember that Jesus has just gone into Jerusalem, and that when He entered Jerusalem, He went into the temple. And when He went into the temple, He cleared it out. He drove out those that were in there, and He established His authority in the temple. What He said was to be done, and He took control of the temple. Now listen, He was not a priest. He was not an elder. He was not the high priest. He wasn't even from Jerusalem. He was a country boy that is coming into the chief city of Israel, into the very center of that city, the temple, the very center of Jewish religious life, and he is setting up shop and he is commanding and dictating. And that causes questions. Priests and elders ask him two connected questions as a result, ones they feel like need to be answered. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus answers both of those questions in a rather unique way. I want us to see this morning three things from this text. First, let us notice the testimony to Jesus' authority. Second, let us notice the recognition of Jesus' authority. And finally, let us notice the importance of yielding to Jesus' authority. So, first, the testimony to Jesus' authority. Second, the recognition of Jesus' authority. And finally, the importance of yielding to Jesus' authority. 
So first, I want you to notice the testimony to Jesus' authority that we have. They ask this question, by what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? It's a right question in the midst of this. He has gone into the temple and he has made himself the authority. And that's a question you and I have to answer. All of us that are sitting here, whether in the fellowship hall or in here, we have to answer the question, what makes him think that he has such authority? To go right into the temple and, and to demand that everybody do what he say. A high priest was God's man in the temple. And the only conceivable authority over the high priest would be the promised Messiah to come. And so the question that these religious leaders are asking Jesus is a question of Messiahship. They're asking him, do you think that you're the Messiah? Do you think that you have authority over the high priest? This is his domain. Do you think you have authority over him? And Jesus' response is not direct, though he isn't refusing to answer the chief priests and the elders. Rather, he sets up a kind of trap for them as he responds to their question with a question. And he asks them a question about John the Baptist. If they answer by saying that John the Baptist was sent by God, then they must also recognize the testimony that John the Baptist gave of Jesus and when he spoke of the divine authority that Jesus had. If they don't recognize John the Baptist as sent from God, then they show themselves to lack authority to even question Jesus. And so they're in a dilemma. Because John's testimony about Jesus was clear. Remember there in Matthew 3, when Jesus goes out to John to submit himself to the waters of baptism, whereby he identifies with you and I, that when he goes to John and John sees him from the distance, he cries out and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. The chief priests and the elders, they know this testimony. They know the testimony of John, that John believes that Christ has authority. But they refuse to answer because they're fearful of the people. They take the way of the coward and they demonstrate their own lack of authority, that they are not over the crowds, but the crowds are actually over them. And it's quite a contrast with Jesus. The testimonies to Jesus' authority could not be more clear, especially, you think, for religious leaders. They, they not only had the testimony of John the Baptist, the final prophet, where he recognizes the authority of Jesus, that Jesus existed before him, and that Jesus has authority even over him. They not only have that testimony of John the Baptist, they had the testimony of all the Old Testament prophets. And they should know that. Matthew will over and over and over in this gospel show us how prophecies that were issued centuries before the coming of Jesus were fulfilled by Jesus as the Messiah to come. That prophet after prophet would speak of Him. And so we see that Jesus is born in Bethlehem, 
We see that he is born from the line of Jacob and Isaac. We see that he is from the tribe of Judah. We see that he comes forth from Egypt. We witness children massacred upon his birth. A messenger prepares the way. Elijah precedes him. He was called a Nazarene. He was mocked and ridiculed. He rode a donkey into Jerusalem. And we could go on and on and on. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, uttered by prophets of old, fulfilled by Christ, the Messiah. They not only have the testimony of John the Baptist, they also have the testimony of all the Old Testament prophets. But it's not just the testimony of John the Baptist, it's not just the testimony of the Old Testament prophets, they also have the testimony of God the Father in heaven. Remember when Jesus comes to the waters of baptism there in Matthew 3 and as he goes into the water, the, the spirit and dove-like form descends upon him and comes upon him. And then you hear that voice from the heavens that says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then you'll remember later in, John's, in Matthew 17, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's there with two Old Testament prophets, and he's there with, with John and James and Peter, and he is up there, and the glory cloud comes upon the Mount of Transfiguration, and you hear thundering from the cloud the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then he adds a new clause. Listen to him. They not only have the witness of John the Baptist, not only the witness of the Old Testament prophets, they have the witness of God the Father from heaven. But not that alone. They also have the witness of Jesus' authority by the miracles that he performed. No man did what Jesus did. Every time that he heals a blind person, every time that he gives strength to the limbs of a lame person, it is a declaration that he is divine, that he has all authority. Every time he healed the blind or made the lame walk, we just saw that in the, in the temple just last week or two weeks ago when he is in the temple. It's, Matthew is making a point and he's saying that as he cleans out the temple, then those who were blind came to him and those who were lame came to him. Why does he pick out those two? Have you noticed that in the Gospels, the two main miracles that Jesus performs is healing the blind and healing the lame. Why those two? Because it's only something that God is said to be able to do in the Scriptures. Psalm 146, verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. Every single time that Jesus makes a lame person walk or a blind person see, we're made to see His divine authority. He's one person with two natures. He is truly man and He is truly God. Two natures in one person. In each of these natures, they work according to their nature. And yet, as each nature works according to its nature, the act itself is done by the one Christ. By the one person. Jesus. So, in these miracles, we witness the eternal power
power of deity alter and suspend the course of nature. And yet it is always the physical, corporeal, visible humanity of Christ that works the miracle. That speaks the miracle. Never does one nature of Christ work without the working of the other nature of Christ. And whatever he does in one nature is attributed to his one person. It is Jesus who speaks that miracle. It is Jesus who performs that miracle. His divinity exercising its power through his humanity in his one person. Have testimony of John the Baptist. They have the unity, the testimony of the Old Testament prophecies. They have the testimony of the Father. They have the testimony of the miracles. And they will ultimately receive the greatest of testimonies, and that is the resurrection. Jesus will say in John 10, verse 18, as he speaks of his life, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The great witness to His authority over all things is His resurrection from the grave. It is the Father's seal upon the testimony of His authority that there is nothing that has authority over Him. He has authority over all things. It's like right now where they're counting all of these votes in the election and some commission has to certify all the votes before they can be passed on. Certifying that this is true. The Father is certifying the Son's authority over all things in the resurrection. Nothing trumps Him. He has all authority. All authority. And the testimony could not be more clear. I don't know how God could make it any more clear for rational beings. And yet, these chief priests and these elders, they don't want to acknowledge it. But that doesn't make it not so. I will often tell young husbands as I'm counseling them, we will sit down. I often turn them to Ephesians 5, and there in Ephesians 5, Paul will say to the husbands, Husbands, you are the head of your wife. And I will point out that what Paul is saying there is, he's saying, you are. The husband is the head of his wife. That's never in question. That's fact. The only question is whether he is a good head or he's a poor head. But he's always the head of his wife. The action or the reaction doesn't determine the reality. It is real. This is true. You are the head of your wife. And so Christ, he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah with all authority. It doesn't matter how people act or react to him. It doesn't matter whether he is embraced or denied. They don't decide. We don't decide. He has all authority. He's the Son of God. That's just fact. Second, 
Let us notice the recognition of Jesus' authority. Time and again throughout the Scriptures, people recognize that authority. They can't miss it. Matthew 7, 29, for he was teaching as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Matthew 9, after Jesus heals the paralytic, we read, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Mark 1, 22, and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Mark 1.27, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Luke 4.32, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. He spoke as one who had authority, and they had never seen anything like it, because there had never been anything like it. Finally, let us notice the importance of yielding to Jesus' authority. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to press home in the two parables. The two very simple parables as far as parables go. You don't need me to explain them. You can figure these out very easily. The first is of a father that owns a vineyard that goes to his first son and he says, tells his son to go out and work in the vineyard and the son says no. But then the son has a pang of conscience as he goes out to do his day and as he is pained in his conscience about having disobeyed his father, he then repents and he goes back and he commits himself to do the will of the father and he works in the vineyard. The second son he goes to, and he tells that son to go out into the vineyard, and that son says, yes, sir, I go. But he didn't ever go out into the vineyard. But he has no pang of conscience that he should obey the will of his father. Jesus presses home the point to these religious elites. He doesn't shy away from confronting hypocrisy. He points out that the tax collectors and the prostitutes who were in rebellion against God heard John the Baptist and they repented. They received the testimony that John the Baptist had given. They repented of their sins. They received the testimony of Christ. Whereas these chief priests and elders who are supposed to be the holy men of Israel who go to the temple day in and day out, who are observing the religious rituals, who should be able to recognize the testimonies that are given by John the Baptist and the Old Testament prophets and the Father from heaven and the miracles only mouth their obedience to God. They looked the part. Their smooth talk and even their promises, but they're unwilling to yield their persons to God. They're, they're unwilling to believe John's testimony. Jesus tells another parable. Again, it's very simple. Man buys some land, puts a vineyard there, creates a wall around the vineyard, puts a wine press in the middle, puts a tower in the middle. And then he rents it out to some tenants while he goes away on a long trip. Harvest time comes, so he sends one of his servants back to the tenants to collect some of the fruit of the harvest. And the one that is sent, they beat and send away. They do not recognize his authority. Or the authority of the one that sent him. 
And so he sends another, so that one they kill. And then he sends another, and that one they stone. And still he sends more and more and more. And so they do the same thing. They stone them, and they kill them, and they cast them out. And so the vineyard owner thinks, they'll respect my son. They'll respect the authority of my son. And so he sends his son. Verse 38, the tenants see the son coming and they say, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. If the previous responses were offensive, this is the chief of all offenses. Of course, God is the vineyard owner. The tenants are Israel, and in particular, its leaders. God gave them the land. He provided for their needs. He sends the servants who are the prophets through the ages who came before with John the Baptist being the last. But they refused to acknowledge the authority of God and His prophets time and again as He sends prophet again and again. And so, finally, He sends His Son. As Jesus says in the parable, they take the son and they take him outside of the city and they kill him. And so it would happen to the son. My friends, we have the testimonies. We have the testimonies of John the Baptist. We have the testimonies of the Old Testament. We have the testimonies of the Father from heaven. We have the testimony of the miracles. We have the testimony of the resurrection. And there's a great demand upon yours and my life to yield our entire persons to Jesus' authority. To say, my life is not my own. But rather, it is to be submitted underneath His authority. I am to be under Christ. And I am to be under Christ in all things. Oh, the importance of yielding to the authority of Jesus. And not just in a moment, but in every part and parcel of our lives. My entire person is to be under His authority. There is nothing that is to be off limits. That is what I think about and what I dream about and what I vision and what I'm passionate about and what stirs me and delights me and what I find rest in and what I labor in and what I do with my hands and what I do with my eyes and what I do with my mouth and what I do with my feet. Everything. All that I am is to be under the authority of Christ. He has all authority. Jesus refers to himself here as the cornerstone. It's a play on words there. In, the, in both the Hebrew and the Aramaic. In Aramaic he would have spoken at this time the the word for sun and the word for stone are almost identical. The word for sun is bin and the word for stone is eben. And so they sound very similar. And, and Jesus is saying that the sun is the cornerstone and the cornerstone is the sun. And what was the cornerstone? Well, the cornerstone was what you would lay down first in a foundation. 
And then every other stone would have to be lined up to that cornerstone. It was either in alignment with that cornerstone or it was out of alignment with that cornerstone. And so everything needed to be in line with it. And Jesus is saying, if you're not in aligned with the sun, then you're out of alignment. You can't have the Father apart from being aligned with the Son. And if you don't have the Father, you don't have the kingdom of God. And any part of my life that is out of alignment with the Son is to be brought into alignment with the Son so that I am in a, aligned with Him in every way that my life is a living sacrifice to Him under His authority. Everything. Notice that these chief priests and Pharisees, they knew this parable was about them. They perceived, Matthew tells us with the word, they perceived it was about them. Their conscience was pricked, maybe even it was pained. What a dangerous thing to ignore a pricked conscience. That is dangerous ground. And that conscience calls out to us to, to repent, to listen to the teaching of Christ. The, we need to submit this part of our lives or our entire lives to the authority of Christ. And yet, we'll see it a place like this week in and week out and we will hear it and we will get that prick of conscience and we just... Oh, we just try and quiet it down. We just try and push it down. If I can just get through the next half hour and get out of here, then I can get on to lunch and I won't think about it again. Yeah, that little prick of conscience that, that this sin needs to be repented of, that this habit is not good, that this thing that I am engaged in needs to be put in alignment. I'm out of alignment with Christ. And, and we just push it down. Just try and quiet it. We, no, we have this pain of conscience. that I need to confess this. I need to tell my wife. Or I need to tell my husband. Or I need to tell my friend. Or I need to tell my elder. Or I need to tell my pastor. I, I, and we just... Try and quiet it. Out of alignment. So dangerous. It is so dangerous not to submit ourselves to the authority of Christ, to seek to be aligned with Him, and to continue to push His call to us away. He speaks with authority to you today. I hope you know that. He said, well, not like he did there. He's teaching in the temple and the chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees are before him. That, that's different. He, he's speaking to them authoritatively there. But not so much here. Hugh Martin was a 19th century Scottish Presbyterian pastor and one of my favorite preachers in history. And he preached a wonderful sermon about 
Christ's authoritative presence with us now. And he gave this as an illustration. He said, imagine that as we gather on the first day of the week, let's say it's a day like today, and we gather together in this place to be together in Christ and by His Spirit and to sit underneath the Word, and we're assembled here to worship God and Christ who said, we're two or three or or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Let's imagine that we are here together doing that very thing. And then all of a sudden, Christ appeared in our midst. Imagine He just appeared here bodily. And you could see Him. And He walked up here to the front, and He got here behind the pulpit, and He opened up the Word like He did when He walked into that synagogue that day. And he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Imagine he reads and that still small voice goes out into this room. And as he reads, you find that the Word comes with power. And that it comes in the demonstration of the Spirit. And as that Word goes out, and as the Spirit tends to that Word, you find yourself beginning to be affected by it. So like some of us are prone to do, you, you put your arm up in front of your eyes to kind of shield yourself from, from Christ a little bit as He speaks those words. And Martin's question was, would this be the authoritative presence of the Lord. He said, now imagine having seen the Lord, you don't put your arm in front of your eyes, but that as the Lord begins to read and to speak, you are so affected by that Word going out and the Spirit taking that Word and applying it to your heart that you are so affected by it, you can't even raise your eyes. You're like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, or like John in the beginning of Revelation. You can't even look at him. Is he still authoritatively present? He says, now, suppose yet again, yet this time, Jesus refuses to use his own voice, but as he comes up here, he hands this Bible to a preacher like me. And then he walks down the center aisle and he takes a seat in the very back pew. And now you can't see him because you're all sitting in front of him or above him. And now imagine that that pastor is left to minister the Word, continuing to minister to you by the Spirit while Jesus Himself is hidden from your view and is now silent but sits in our gathering, do we have the Lord's authoritative presence with us still? Imagine that the pastor prays for you and proclaims you be reconciled to God. Is there authority in that call to you? Is Christ speaking authoritatively? And the answer is yes. Because the Word is the substance of the matter. It is the Word that Christ has committed Himself to, that He has commissioned. It is His Word that is His reconciling thing for people. 
It is His Word that goes out and then it is applied and it's commended to our spirits by His Spirit, to our hearts by His Spirit. It's the Word and it's the Spirit. It is by Word and Spirit that Christ is really and profoundly present with us this morning and that He speaks to us with authority. He speaks to us outwardly by His Word, authoritatively. He speaks inwardly to us by His Spirit, authoritatively. He speaks to you authoritatively this morning. As Gerhardus Voss said, he said, the glorious aspect of Christ's prophetic ministry has not been taken away. As Voss says, the Spirit of Christ makes the voice of the Word resound inwardly and apply it such that in His messengers, that is, His preachers, one hears Christ Himself as the prophet. It is that God speaks to you this morning. Christ speaks to you this morning by His Word. And as that Spirit applies that Word to your hearts through this weak and frail vessel, He speaks to you. And He speaks authoritatively now. Though He's at the right hand of the Father, He speaks in this room to you now. Jesus did appear here bodily this morning. And he walked up here. You know what he would do? He'd read the Word. That's what he would do. And you know, it it wouldn't be his outward appearance that would affect you. No, Isaiah says that he had no former majesty that we should behold him. No beauty that we should desire Him. It wouldn't be that you were moved by the sound of His voice. You would be moved as these chief priests and these elders were to be moved by His Word and by His Spirit. And you have that today. You have that every week. This is not some inconsequential trite, tepid gathering that we do week in and week out. This isn't just you come in and you sing a few songs and feel good and you walk out and you go home. No, this is a meeting with the living, authoritative Christ who is speaking to you each week. Speaking to you authoritatively. Come under me. Align yourself with me. Receive me. Dwell in me. Live in me. Glorify me. Honor me. Seek me. Delight in me. Every week. So the question is is am I listening or are you listening? Not to this weak, frail preacher, but to Christ. 
Are you hearing? Christ. There's some, I think, look at life in general and look at these parables and they say, I got time. Got time. I got time before I give my life to Christ, or I got time to, to tackle that sin eventually, or to work to kill that sin eventually, or to grow in this area of righteousness eventually. You say, look, look at the parables. The one son promises to go out, doesn't, and the father gives him another chance. He comes back and he does. Look at what God does with the tenants. He sends servant after servant after servant to him. And though they abuse him each time, he keeps sending more. God is long-suffering. Yes. Praise God. But you don't know. You don't know whether you have the rest of today, let alone tomorrow. You don't know. Jesus says the great cornerstone is also the stone that crushes. That is, He is both the undoing of Israel and He is the hope of Israel. He is both that which unites and He is that which divides. He is both the stone that brings judgment and He is the stone that brings about healing. He's both. T.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 19th century, wrote about this later after it occurred. He wrote about on a Sunday night, October 8th, 1871, he was preaching there in Chicago. And he was preaching at a church and preaching a revival. And the name of his sermon that evening as he preached was, What shall I do then with Christ, with, with Jesus who is called Christ? He said he spoke to them about Jesus as the Christ, but he told them he just wanted them to think upon it for the next week because he was going to come back the following Sunday and he was going to preach the cross to them. And Ira Sankey, who was always his right-hand man and was a music leader, got up then to lead the congregation in a hymn. And the line of the hymn that they were singing and closing with went with like this. Today the Savior calls for refuge fly. The storm of justice falls and death is nigh. And just as they were finishing that line and hadn't even closed out the hymn yet, they heard fire engines out in the street. At night, all of Chicago would be burnt down. Hundreds of people would die. One in three people would lose their homes. And Moody later wrote this. He said, I have never dared to give an audience a week to think of their salvation since. If they were lost, they might rise up in judgment against me. I've never seen that congregation since. I never will meet those people again until... I meet them in another world, but I want to tell you of one lesson that I learned that night, which I have never forgotten, and that is, when I preach to press Christ upon the people then and there and try to bring them to a decision on the spot, 
I would rather have the right hand cut off than give an audience now a week to decide what to do with Jesus. Have you yielded yourself to his authority? Have you? So I press with you this morning. Have you yielded yourself to his authority? He has all authority. Everybody will recognize it someday. You have the testimony of John the Baptist. You have the testimony of the Old Testament prophets. You have the testimony of the Father from heaven. You have the testimony of the miracles. You have the testimony of the resurrection. He has all authority. And he's worthy. Have you submitted yourself to that authority? And where your life is not aligned to this one who has all authority, then you repent. And the beauty of this is, like that parable of the two sons, his grace is more than sufficient. He receives back the repentant sinner because he has all authority, even all authority over all of our sin. He's worthy. Have you submitted yourself to him? Let's pray. Our Father, we give you praise this afternoon. That your Son, the great King of kings and Lord of lords, sits at your right hand forevermore. That he is making all his enemies and our enemies a footstool beneath his feet and that he has authority over all things. Truly, there is no better king to serve, no better prophet to listen to, no better priest to take our sins to. May we know the joy, the delight, the safety of being submitted to this king who is more than worthy and who has all authority. We look forward to that day when every tongue shall confess and every knee bow before our risen, reigning, returning Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.